Hi, everyone. My name is Jeff Rogers, and welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. There is a seat for you in, in these rooms. I didn't know them, but they knew me. And so what I would tell you, you get to be a part of immediately and you get to offer something instantly. And, and if you're holding on to some other things, I, I would say it's, 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 in my experience, it's an incredible trade. So I would urge you to try and look at what maybe you're holding on to and, and what you might be missing. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. My name is Michael Lynn from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I'm Lee McGinnis from Leesburg, Virginia. As members of the recovery community, we created this podcast as a way to provide experience, strength, and hope through the lens of the Daily Reflection book. Each day, we interview members of the recovery community in the hope that their experience may provide inspiration. We value inclusion and diversity, and we really want to provide a platform for all the voices of recovery. We aren't affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, but you may hear these mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Hey, before we get to the show, I'd like to ask a favor. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it'd be great if you could leave us a comment or a rating. This is going to do a couple of things. It's going to help us expand our reach and improve the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode. All right. Today is October 15th. We have a guest in the studio as usual, Jeff Rogers. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It's it's a really cool opportunity just to get to know you and and talk to another person uh, in recovery. Yeah, right on. And that's, that's kind of what it is, just a conversation. So Jeff, we start by reading the daily reflection for the day. Would you uh, help us get started? Yeah. This is called My Checklist, Not Yours. Gossip barbed with our anger, a polite form of murder by character assassination, has its satisfactions for us too. We are not trying to help those we criticize. We are trying to proclaim our own righteousness. Sometimes I don't realize that I gossiped about someone until the end of the day when I take inventory of the day's activities. And then my gossiping appears like a blemish in my beautiful day. How could I have said something like that? Gossip shows its ugly head during a coffee break or lunch with a business associates, or I may gossip during the evening when I'm tired from the day's activities and feel justified in bolstering my own ego at the expense of someone else. Character defects like gossip sneak into my life when I am not making a constant effort to work the 12 steps of recovery. I need to remind myself that my uniqueness is the blessing of my being, and that applies equally to everyone who crosses uh, my path and life's journey. Today, the only inventory I need to take is my own. I'll leave the judgment of others to the final judge, divine providence. This is such a good one. And I kind of cringe <laughs> as I read it, as I hear it. Uh, gossip is something that uh, I think I think we're all tempted. Uh, but before we begin, Jeff, would you share your sobriety date? Yeah, um, September 10th, 2017. Awesome. So as you were reading that reflection, what were you thinking about? What came to mind? So uh, and initially when I read it and I contextualized it kind of within the 10th step as it is October and the inventory that alluded to, I thought to myself, boy, gossip never appears on my inventory. And that's not to say that I don't do it and don't do it often and with great relish. So I, I sort of considered kind of what it was talking about, what, what gossip is and, and what it, where it really is. And I, I've, uh, I've, you know, it's, it just reminds me of the daily program of recovery. And it, it isn't often that I'm talking about these monumental things that come up or these major lies or these really complicated um, things that I, I have going on. It, it usually is this subtle little, 
you know, kind of soul sickness that appears in these places. And, and what's really cool about the inventory, it really gives us the tools to, to sort of identify it and take a look at it. And I like, you know, a, a lot of people early on told me of contextualizing sort of the 10th step as a mini fourth step. And uh, that, that's been really helpful for me to be able to see these kind of through different eyes and not draw into too much self-pity or remorse about it, but, but kind of really know where I stand and where I'm coming from. The inventory as a tool to learn more about yourself. Yeah, I like that you said soul sickness, and that's kind of, I guess, what the character defects are. Mm-hmm. You know, as we as we get further into recovery and further away from our last drink, the character defects don't automatically disappear, um, and they they crop up in these ways. Tell me about how gossip appears in your life. Where, when, when are you tempted to to engage in gossip? Yeah, gossip, I was thinking so much about it with the reading. And for me, it's a lot like a form of resentment that I have. And sometimes it's not always as all consuming as a singular resentment, but in the similar way where I almost want to fight it, but almost involuntarily pour it out. So when somebody starts talking about something reflexively, I might start participating. And maybe I'm trying to connect with that person in that moment. Or maybe I've been looking for something else and sort of attracting that. But for me, gossip, it can be really harmless. But I've had times where, you know, I've been in like toxic work cultures that I have been consumed with gossip and consumed with a lot of, you know, microaggressions and resentment. And it can really take over and not only just disconnect you from the, the people that you're gossiping about, which is so fundamental to, you know, what, what I think our primary purpose is, is to connect to all people. And so if, if I'm gossiping, I'm, I'm not connecting. I am either bolstering my own ego or just looking for somebody to capitalize on them as something interesting to say or in any way. And so for me, in, in a really like toxic work environment that I came from, I found myself gossiping and consumed in resentment all day. And not only did it block me from connecting to them, it blocked my usefulness in everything. I couldn't mm. be present. I couldn't necessarily engage. And I was just kind of attracting and seeking this stuff out. And, you know, it seems pretty harmless, but usually it does, especially if it's showing up over and over and over again, speak to a bigger issue and 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 require some action. And I found myself in, in kind of one of those patterns. So for me, you know, I'm somebody I, I like to capitalize. I like to make jokes. I like to get laughs. I like to to get attention. I like to to make the most interesting point in the room. And so I, that idea of capitalizing from gossip has been a pattern for me throughout my, my whole life. You know, I've found myself in similar situations where. You know, I, I'm, in many ways, uh, I'm socially awkward and I struggle to connect. And, you know, I've found myself in past situations where gossip is a way that it's a lower form of communication that enables you to connect to somebody on those lower forms. And, yeah, like you said, it's it's really not a not a healthy um, a mechanism to connect. So I'm curious, 2017, what was going on in your life uh, that you thought about changing the way you were living? Um, well, not much, truthfully. Um, I, uh, I was living here in, in Philadelphia. I, um, I was kind of jumping to job, to school. Meanwhile, this progressive, you know, disease or, or you know, of alcoholism. And, uh, you know, I, I fit really neatly into a lot of alcoholic cliches. And, and one is for sure an alcoholic before he ever picked up the drink. 
And um, my life was pretty unmanageable even without alcohol. So when when you took it away, so I was actually, it was characterized by a lot of false starts in sobriety. I, I didn't go to any meetings. I didn't try any recovery. I tried like an IOP. I tried sort of self-reporting. I tried talking. To, I thought I'd set up all these controls and structures for myself. And and then I, I you know, it, I would tell everybody I encountered, hey, I, I'm not drinking anymore. I'm not alcoholic. And then they, they see me at the bar the next week. And there was a lot of these stops and starts or I went to an IOP and they suggested a meeting and I went, definitely. I never went. You know, there was a few things I would grip on to like a few weeks of, of dry time. And um, if anybody, you know, the name white knuckling for sure, just if anyone's tried it, they know what it feels like. It's a really apt description. And, and that, that was characterized 2017 in particular was several attempts at that. And um, I was working as a real estate agent and which I liked because I could make my own hours, but I, uh, I made zero hours was the truth. <laughs> and um, so that, that was really fortunate. And uh, I was just running, I was running from everything. And so what finally caught you in terms of the program? It, it is interesting because my, my sort of uh, my moment, I guess, where I just sort of threw up my hands and surrendered because there's plenty of other ones that should have qualified more with worse circumstances. I, I don't know what it was about this day. The Eagles were playing the Redskins. Um, I was waiting around for the game for bars to open and shaking, scared, alone. And um, I just I guess I just had a moment of clarity that, you know, I, I was holding on to a life that I hated. And um, I was really terrified to give up drinking because I didn't know. And I kind of knew that I needed to. I had sort of um, alluded to, but I realized I was just really struggling to do it on my own. And I, I guess I just, and my, I have an uncle in, in um, 12 step programs and uh, I, I have a father who's been through, through his own, you know, battles. And, and so I was, I was privy to know that there's some options out there, but I was just finally willing to give it a try. Yeah. And so how did you find your first meeting? So I, I went the, the treatment route. Um, so I, I went, I was lucky enough to go to a treatment center. And, um, actually when I went in there, um, I, I, I told myself I'm going to do 30 days, but I'm not doing any 12 step stuff. I, I was pretty, con- everything that I knew about 12 step stuff was born out of a South park episode. And <laughs> actually that was evidence enough for me that I didn't need it, but I did know a little thing about treatment centers and I knew that they were going to refer you to aftercare or do that. And I, I wanted to be in control. And so I was given a big book. And I said, I'm going to read this because they're not going to quiz me on some information that's going to keep me from going where I wanted back to my life of essentially nothing. But I read the big book and that was my first experience of another alcoholic speaking to another alcoholic. And I, I remember it vividly because the way it was written struck me in such a way where it described everything I was doing and feeling so profoundly in a way that no one else could in a way that I hadn't. And I was just immediately convinced that, that, that those people knew. So any meeting I was suggested to go to in treatment, I was doing, I was reading it. I started saying yes to absolutely everything. And I was really lucky to meet because I don't think a lot of people have that luxury of 
fitting really neatly into those descriptions and they maybe have to work a little bit harder, but I, I didn't, I, 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 the, the term that resonated with me most immediately was spiritual bankruptcy. And uh, when I read some of those terms, they, they put words to feelings and things that I was doing and the allergy of craving that I had experienced and still experienced with everything, with sugar, with, you know, I, I mean, I've been one of those people forever and it, it, it framed it in a way that I finally understood. So that was my first, that was all on that day, September 10th, actually. Oh, Wow. Well, you know, it's, I love that um, you started out with the best of intentions to, to kind of cling to, to control. Yeah. And, and you thought that the, the answer to that would be to read the book and get all the answers and then be on your way. Yeah, um, so, so you're in, in treatment and you've read the book, you're starting to get the idea of this sickness and the disease that, that it is. Um, how long after that did you start going to, to 12 step meetings? So I, I went from one treatment center here in Pennsylvania to another down in Florida. And um, I went immediately, it was suggested. I I was really, I, I was riding. I still believed at that time it was willpower. I still really, I, I had a lot of resistance towards those ideas. And um, I was really determined to live a life of purpose. I didn't know how. I, that was the rhetoric I was saying. Um but I was, I said that I would do everything that was suggested of me. And, and so when it was suggested down in Florida that I go to meetings, even though I'd been to a few in Pennsylvania, I went to a 7 a.m. group down there. Um, it was the first one. I, I had my patient buddy, who's still actually a really good friend of mine. Um, we wound up working together and, uh, you know, we're, we're still friends to this day. And, and strangely enough, he's from this area and we have a lot in common, but we met down there in Florida. And he said, I'm going to a meeting at 7 a.m. You can come or you cannot. Mm. And I just did. And I went to that meeting every day for two years. How important do you think meetings are? So initially, it was really the foundation for me because I, um, I wasn't great at routine. I wasn't great at prayer. I wasn't great at um, orienting myself. I really acted on a lot of really great intentions with a lot of misguided energy. And um, for me, the meetings initially served this. And the, the thing I found initially in meetings that I loved so much was that my failures and, and my experience and my feelings were helping other people, even though I had no idea what it was, how it was. And so I felt a part of pretty quickly. And um, for me, in the beginning, feeling a part of that and feeling of some use was huge. And so for years, I, you know, they said meeting makers make it. And I, I didn't know that I needed them, but I, I loved them immediately. And I, I do think that they helped build this incredible foundation and um, get, especially starting off with the morning meeting that I was able to get the right, start my day with the right message and um, orient myself. And uh, it was, it was hugely helpful for the first years of my sobriety. I, I don't go to a meeting every day anymore. But, um, you know, a lot of people have that misunderstanding. They're like, do you still go to meetings? You know, do you still need the meetings? And I think they have this idea of like everybody in a church basement smoking cigarettes and complaining about DUIs and problems and convincing themselves not to drink and, and just the, the depth that they're missing about it. And I, I say this, I, I don't go to meetings now because I need them or because I'm scared of relapse. I go because I, I so enjoy it and I, I love it. Did you have to change your life much? Did you leave friends behind? I did initially. I, uh, I, 
I put everything on hold. I didn't have a phone for like six months. And um, I was happy to do that. Uh, it was a big obstacle for a lot of people. But I didn't have a lot that I wanted. I was leaving kind of, like I said, a life behind that I didn't really like. Um, and uh, I, I kept having a few of those kind of sobering thoughts throughout my you know, early recovery. And uh, I, I did, I, you know, they said you had to change everything. And for a while I did, I moved down to Florida. I started meetings. I, I took, um, you know, when I was kind of on my feet, I took on kind of um, a new job and started to go back to school and piece it back to get better, you know, gradually. I, I, uh, I missed um, the Super Bowl parade, which for me was a big deal. And uh, I did. I started living life responsibly and I didn't talk to a lot of friends and family for, for a very long time. But they, they, they've since returned in, in a way that um, I wouldn't say that it's the same. I'd say that it's different and better. That's hopeful. That's inspiration. And what happens today? I mean, some folks that are listening might be concerned about giving up the drink and giving up some of the things that they do today that that kind of lead them to trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you do today? What do you do for fun? Um, I, I do a lot. I, I wish I had more hours in the day, actually. I, um, I'm an, obs- I'm still an addict, so I'm still obsessed golfer and uh, weightlifter. And I, I found my way to a lot of the cliches. I, I love all sports. It's been a, a big part of my life, but I love live music I love uh, tonight. I'm going to a comedy show. I'm going to be going to see uh, John Mulaney at the Kimmel Center. Um, I spend time with my girlfriend. I watch tons of TV. I uh, connect with friends. I love to laugh. I love to hang out. I can do essentially everything that I was seeking while drinking. I can do. It's just minus that drinking part. And the truth was that drinking kind of took that all away from me. Mm-hmm. That I I wanted that conviviality that joyousness. But, but the truth is once I had a drink, it, it sort of decided where I went and what I did and, and, and took over everything. And so I, I've, you know, I've since gone to bachelor parties. I've since been the best man at three weddings. Um, there's been nothing I can't do. I, I, I realized as I said that, that might sound arrogant. <laughs> I, I mean that I've, I've had the freedom from the urge to drink with a lot of work that I've put in and been able to go anywhere that anywhere can, anyone can do. And the, the truth was, you know, I, I love going to games, I love going to concerts, but when I went drinking, the drink took over. I can't tell you how many plays I've missed waiting in line for a beer. I can't tell you how many things I've just skipped entirely because I was either hungover or drinking. Um, it's allowed me to connect to experience. So the truth was, you know, the only thing that I've lost is drinking. I've kind of gained literally everything else. Um, but are you ever tempted? Do you ever feel like you know, maybe a drink is a good idea. There's been fleeting, I wouldn't even say urges or anything like that, but kind of weird associations. Not often. It's not gotten very far. Um, you know, I, I think with having a daily program of recovery and with, you know, cause it, it doesn't become about drinking, but I, I, my sponsor did always say to me, you know, you're going to experience a lot of spiritual growth, but don't ever forget about drinking. And, uh, I just thought that was, that was good advice. Um, to kind of keep that and why, why you need the newcomers and why that all comes together. Because the more I have that in my head, you know, if there was a thought, it's never been a thought that I could successfully drink. It's never been anything more than a fleeting. Maybe this is where I would have a drink now is kind Mm -hmm. of the thought. And you'll feel like maybe a little flutter. I've had moments where I've felt uncomfortable and I've had to walk away. You know, I can remember my brother-in-law's bachelor party. I didn't know what it was. It wasn't an urge. I felt different and I felt odd. And I just kind of realized this wasn't a place for me to be. 
and mm-hmm. I didn't have to force it. And I, I just walked away. Everyone understood. You know, I just yeah. said, you know, I, I don't need to be here, guys. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm. I'll see you in the morning. Yeah. And because um, I, I think I've tried that, too. I've tried to prove to myself that I can walk anywhere. While I can be there, the truth is I don't always want to be there. <laughs> and so it's given me that sort of freedom to choose. So, yeah, there, there's been sort of an inkling I, early on those cravings, for sure. I can remember going to like a, a barcade type issue where like people were drinking and there was like old 80s games. And I, uh, I saw like a shot there and it was just one quick little thing. It was sitting on the NBA jam machine and I was looking at it. And I went, oh, that'd be funny that I could just take it. And then it was like, holy, holy shit, I still, I want to take it. And I, I remember I talked immediately to my sponsor. He went, of course you want to take it. You're, you're an alcoholic. Like, that makes sense. And yeah. so that, that's one vivid one that stands out, but not often. So tell me about your spiritual growth. You mentioned spiritual growth. Tell me about that. Is, is there a higher power working in your life? Or what, what's going on with that? Yeah. And, and despite some kind of heavy resistance in the beginning, I, I definitely was of the learning variety. I, I had failed so many things in my life, but I still thought I knew better. I was, I, I didn't have a poor experience with religion, but I definitely was resistant. I, I kind of clung on to some arguments for a while, but um, it was kind of an experience spirituality where I could realize kind of how I was getting in the way. And the the biggest ones for me were sort of finding those guiding principles to just surrender all my decisions to. And when I had done that, and the, the primary one being honesty, I was just such a liar in every, I lied for no reason. I lied when I had to get out of things. It was, it was like, you know, it was the best club in my bag for a while. It was the, the thing I was always drawing on. And um, it was a strategy I employed. And I didn't know if I knew how to live honestly. And so when I started to gut it out and initially work the steps, I, I would tell these little lies and, and I could catch myself and I had to do this daily inventory thing. And even though I was skeptical, it kept coming up and I kept having to do something about it. And when I took action about it and I told the truth or I kind of made amends, I experienced this sense of relief and I could understand kind of how I was getting in my own way. And um, for me, it instilled this sort of sense of calm and trust in something. Um, Because for me, uh, it was group of drunks at first were my higher power. And it was because they could describe the way I was drinking in a way that that normal people just couldn't. Mm. And I trusted what they said. And part of what they were saying was that you need to be honest, open and willing. And um, out of enough desperation, I sort of found a spiritual understanding through that. And and if I I do, I say this to a lot of sponsees that I work with, if, if you need a I'm a golfer, so I use golf. And if you if you can only choose one club, you know, for me, it, it is the capacity to be honest. If you, if you have anything that you can default on, without that, I think a lot of it hinges on it. And for me, um, honesty led to acceptance. And so every time I was honest about something that I didn't like, I was forced to confront and accept the reality and accept it on kind of God's natural terms. And when I found out those were fine, I started to trust in that rather than trust in my vision. Mm. And so I let go of control sort of that way. It sounds like uh, that club is a great one to get you out of the rough. Yeah. No <laughs> Fantastic. Well, what advice would you have for somebody that's that's considering a change of, of the way they're living? Yeah. I mean, that's the, the primary purpose of this conversation. And um you know, when I when I think about it, um, I, I guess I would say that if, if you're feeling undeserving of help, usually, 
And, and for me, that was a big obstacle. I felt very undeserving and I felt like I had to kind of figure it out on my own and, and do that. I guess I would question, you know, how that, how that's working for you for one. And then, um, you know, and just offered that there's a seat for you in, in these rooms. And I didn't know them, but they knew me. And so what I would tell you, and that was a line from a, a Long Island guy in my, my home group down in Florida that I love. He said, that, you know, you don't know us, but we know you. And uh, I love that because it was so true. And, um, you know, what I would say is that you, you get to be a part of immediately and you get to offer something uh, instantly. And, and if you're holding on to some other things, I, I would say it's, 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 in my experience, it's an incredible trade. And so I would um, urge you to try and look at what maybe you're holding on to and, and what you might be missing. Fantastic. That's great advice. Well, Jeff, I've enjoyed our conversation. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up? Go birds. I <laughs> <laughs> love it. <laughs> All right, Jeff. Thanks so much right. for, uh, for doing thanks. this. It yeah, it was, a, it was an absolute pleasure. And I'll, I'll hopefully talk to you soon, Mike. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find us online, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Daily Reflection Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Reflector. You can read stories of recovery from our community at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Please don't forget to give us a rating on your podcast app. We greatly appreciate it. Have a great day.